0: Do blogs really still work to drive sales for businesses? Well, the short answer is yes, and the long answer is also yes. Damon Burton is breaking down how to create good blog content that does exactly this. Let's do it. Damon, man, stoked to have you here, dude. So let's just jump right into it. So if we want to create a blog post that is super engaging, but also solves why someone is actually coming to that content that scratches the itch of the buyer intent, so to speak. Like, How do we start to frame up a blog post that doesn't sound robotic, doesn't sound like someone that doesn't know what the hell they're doing wrote it and actually engages people, keeps them on page and takes them to the next stage in the funnel?
1: Yeah, it actually starts even before you do the writing and it starts with the keyword research. So what you want to do is figure out not only Like when we talk about search engine optimization, right? Let's even dumb it down a little bit further. So what is SEO? So it's the goal is to show up higher in search engines for words that you can monetize, but without ads, right? And so you do that through increasing the credibility of your website. And there's a whole bunch of other paths we could go down, but let's focus on the content path. So before you start writing the content, you have to go, okay, what types of words am I going to monetize? Because you don't want to... We've all seen those SEO blogs or blogs that we know are SEO. And it's just like you said, either robotic... Or it's fragmented and it doesn't read naturally and so how do you get the seo value of the intent of those crappy blogs without doing the crappy blogs so first you go okay what are the words that i can monetize and what are the words that are the audience inputs because you may be wrong you may think there's a big audience searching for keyword xyz and really it's abc so first you want to start in that keyword research Now, once you figure out what keywords that you can monetize, then you want to align with buyer intent, then you want to go, okay. now I know these are the words that I can monetize. What types of content can I create to support those again? So you're not just writing SEO gibberish. And so there's a couple of different ways you can look at topics or identify topics that the market is already asking. Right. So instead of shotgunning it and taking a guess on, I think I should write about this topic or writing about something that's been beaten a thousand freaking times by everybody else, right? Like if you go search, why do businesses need social media? There's going to be an infinite amount of blogs, right? So you don't want to write about that. So two tools that are really easy that you could use to figure out what topics you could start with. The first one is simply Google. Just go to Google and use the autocomplete. So if you start typing out whatever target phrase is that you've identified that you can monetize, once you start typing in two, three, four characters or two, three, four words, then it's going to kick out like a five to 10 word sentence. What that is, is Google telling you very specifically what the masses are searching. So it's saying, hey, Ryan, based on what you've input so far, a whole bunch of other people search these 10 things. So that is telling you that there's demand behind that search query. Now, another free tool you can use is called answerthepublic.com. Answer the public is super cool. You go there and you just type in whatever phrase. Now, now be forewarned, their homepage is super creepy. Like it's their (laughs) persona and their model to have this like really awkward intro. They've gone from having this uncomfortable-looking older man to like a 40-year-old guy that just stares at you. And then now, I can't even remember what it is. I think, it's a, I think we're talking about robots. I think it's a robot now, and it's just awkward. So just know it's coming. So you go type in whatever, and what it's going to do is it's going to kick out like the who, what, when, where, and why of whatever you typed in. And what they do is they pull the data from a lot of places, one of them being kind of the autocomplete thing, But they go pull and aggregate all this data to clearly communicate to you in an easy to digest manner, like where the search demand is on what topics. I'll give you an example. So when we were working with the Utah Jazz, the goal was to sell more merchandise, more hats and jerseys of newer players, but then also very specific legacy players like Carl Malone. So one of the things that their retail store would not have ever suggested as a topic and that we would have never guessed as a topic, but was revealed in the data is how did Carl Malone die? Carl Malone's not dead. <laughs> so then you can go, oh, okay, this is what the market is demanding, is they want to know how Carl Malone died. So it's a wrong question, but then you can come at it with the right answer and go, maybe in this example, maybe like a BuzzFeed style, here's the top 10 myths of how Carl Malone died. Because then you hit the target audience and then you answer their question and solve their problem. And guess what? Nobody else is writing about how Carl Malone died because he ain't dead and so like it's a win 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 situation. So those are the types of things that I'm looking for, the really unique things that haven't already been mass produced as topics but align very directly with something specific to a specific audience. So
0: you found the uh, did Carl Malone die by doing just the, the basic research like the answer to the public
1: type of approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one came out in answer the public, yeah. That's fantastic. And you know what's interesting about answer the public is their data evolves pretty quickly. Because when we first found that example, and then I went back in two or three months later, I was doing a, a webinar or something, and I was going to show them live. And there was different things. And I can't remember what it was, but it was something about... It was still Carmelo I was looking up. But then there was a bunch of things about Carmelo compared to like Kobe Bryant. And it was probably right after his passing. And so it was really interesting to see... I mean, that was even new to me to see how quickly they changed that data. So Answer the Public is super cool to see in pressure results about things that you can tap into.
0: That's awesome. So Answer the Public, you figure out the topics that you want to talk about. Once you have the topic, like the crawl Malone thing, like how did you guys create content off that, that, you know, it solved the problem, right? We told them that it, it, he didn't die, but how do you actually like structure that content? So to our point earlier, it doesn't sound robotic and bland and dull and it actually engages them and. And keeps them on the page
1: yeah so the best SEO content is content that you don't think about SEO (laughs) so come at it and write it to solve the problem and answer the question so all of my writers I tell them don't focus on keyword count don't focus on keyword stuffing your first pass in writing the article is going to be to solve the problem so if you can solve the problem or answer the question in 500 words then answer it in 500 words like why would we peg ourselves to saying okay we need to do at least 1200 words and then we dilute the value of the content by adding 700 words of crap so the first pass i tell our team to not focus on seo and our writers so all our writers are in house and they are largely independent from i guess i'd say the the actual seo side of thing the technical side of seo so i have the writers just write and focus on their expertise of communicating and then in a second pass we just go through and lightly touch it and go okay Does it make sense to emphasize a word here naturally? What we don't want to do is cram it full of awkward insertions of keywords because search engines are smart enough nowadays to understand the intent of the article and the overall you know, cadence or what it's talking about. Like a kind of a really simple example would be, let's say you're a personal injury attorney and all of your articles talk about attorney, 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 and you never say lawyer. There's still a good chance you're going to rank for lawyer, even though you never say it. Because search engines can understand the correlation between different phrases. So don't get too obsessed with feeling like you have to just cram in keywords for it to work. Because what happens is you can actually, I guess we could say over-optimize it. Because if you put in too many keywords, then Google will pay attention to that excessiveness. But then probably more so is because it's over-optimized, it reads unnaturally. And the real people that get to it, that read it, don't stay. Because it's a weird read. And so they abandon the page, and that increases what's called the bounce rate. And the worse your bounce rate is, the less Google is going to show your content website. Because a really simple way to understand SEO is, is it's whoever makes Google look good. And what I mean by that is if you have a poor design, poor user experience, poor page load, poor content, when Google sends a visitor to your website, that makes them look bad. And so there's a small chance that that person's going to use Google less, which decreases their revenue. So they're trying to protect their own interests. So if you can just simply make Google look good by having a a well-written piece of content that isn't overly stuffed, that keeps people on the page, it'll actually perform better than something that's excessively stuffed purely from an SEO intent.
0: Yeah, so it doesn't have to be super long, doesn't have to be super optimized. It should be good content that solves the problem and then you optimize it just enough to make it sound natural, but hit the main points that you want to show up for. I'm curious, to wrap up with a couple like quick questions here, how much does design of the website impact SEO? Because like you said, like, if somebody goes to a website and it doesn't look good, thus they maybe they think it's old and out of date and things like that. How much does like visual design actually impact your ability to rank from an SEO perspective?
1: It does have some direct impact but here's a little asterisk to the comment right there's not one thing in seo that is substantially more effective than the other it's basically who can juggle 100 different little things the longest and so design is part of it but it's not the magic bullet content is part of it but it's not the magic bullet backlinks are part of it but it's not the magic bullet so the thing with design though is is interesting it's kind of counterintuitive for a lot of people the simpler the better i've seen the most amazing visual designs perform absolutely the worst. And I've seen the dumbest, blandest, minimalistic designs perform absolutely the best. And it's usually the latter. Usually the simpler is better. And there's tons of case studies where websites start to perform better as you remove things from it, not add things. So minimalism is actually a really effective approach to design. What you want to do is basically figure out how to hold the visitor's hand and take them on a journey to where you want them to go, whether it's submitting a contact form, opting into a thing, buying a product make it so they don't have to think on which button to push to get to that thing. And so as far as design, there's that component, but then there's other components as far as the hierarchy of content. So search engines will pay attention to how far down content is on a page. Like a really common thing that we have when we launch a new account is we have this audit checklist where we go through and go, okay, are are these in place or do we need to remove these things? And what we don't want to do is change the branding. We don't want to go in and say, hey, thanks for signing up for SEO. Now you also need to pay for a new design. So what we do is we fix anything that's not cosmetic, that's just on the back end, we'll just fix it. But in the case that there's something cosmetic that would benefit SEO, then we bring it to the client and say, hey, here's something we want to consider. Here's why. And a really common example is big header carousels. So it's like this weird natural desire for humans to add carousels. And I'll admit that I've done it too, right? But here's the problem with carousels is when we have these like slideshows at the top of the of the page, a lot of bad things happen from an SEO perspective. First thing is, is there's a big image. Big images are big assets which slow down the page. And if it's carousel, you have multiple big images that slow down the page. Now you also need code to rotate those images, which slows down the page. And what a lot of people don't realize is the majority of the code that rotates those has to preload all the images. So let's say you got five images in your slider. It only shows one at a time, but it has to load the weight of all five in advance. So that slows it down. And then because you have this big header image, it suppresses the text-based content further down on the page. So then Google says, well, it must not be that valuable because I had to work hard to get to it. And now on that same note, search engine will pay attention to the hierarchy of menus. So if you have a menu that's got 50 layers to it, the further you go down in those layers, like these flyout menus or these mega menus... I try not to go more than two or three layers deep. I definitely never go more than three, but I try not to go more than two because the further those get nested and buried in how the menu flies out, the more devalued they come. So search engines will pay attention to the number of steps it takes to get to a piece of content. So there's a lot of different ways you can interpret design to how it impacts SEO. Fantastic,
0: love that breakdown. What would you say are two myths that people commonly believe in regards to SEO that just aren't true?
1: The first one, I'll have to think about a second one. The first one for sure, though, is what's called meta keywords. So meta keywords used to be this thing where there's in the source code of a web page, there's a little line that says, what is this page about? So you don't see it visually. It's just in the code. And Google has gone on record as far back as 2009 saying that they don't look at meta keywords anymore. And so for whatever reason, some platforms have that still built in. And so people will populate it. But even worse is the platforms that don't have it built in and people will add it. So, what these are is before search engines increased kind of their intelligence and understanding intent of content, it gave webmasters and site owners the opportunity to say, what are some keywords this website is about? And of course, we just abuse the crap out of it and we put in every keyword possible in there to say, I want to rank for absolutely everything, even though it's completely unrelated to what my website's about. And so they just completely ignore it now. So don't even care about meta keywords. Now that's different than meta description. So there's different meta tags. Now meta descriptions are different. There is a little bit of value. Why don't I use meta descriptions as the number two? So meta descriptions, and I'll kind of lump it together with title tags. So what these are is if you go to a website and you look in your browser and on the tab. So right now you and I are recording on a platform called Squadcast. And I look on the browser and the top tab, it says Squadcast. Now, if I were to go Google the brand Squadcast, you're going to in a search result, you see primarily two things per result, you see the big text, and the little text. So the big text is also that title tag I just talked about. Now the meta description only shows on search engines. It's in the code of the website, just like the meta keywords I said not to use is in the code. But Kind of for the same reason, meta descriptions are still used, but they're less valuable. So a lot of people will just abuse those too and shove in keywords. So all the listeners, go to Google, search something, you'll see the big text, which is the title tag, and the little text, which is the meta description. Now pay attention to the different layouts that you see in meta descriptions. Some of them will read very effectively, and it'll be a sentence format, and it's easy to read, and others will be fragmented. The ones that are fragmented are because the person that runs the website didn't populate that on the website, but Google has to put something there. So then it's going to take a snippet of text from the page. Now here's the trick. You don't necessarily want to stuff it with keywords. You want to communicate the value propositions of the page. I'll give you an example. So go search my name, Damon Burton, and look at the result. You'll see a two sentence format. Sentence number one is here's the value propositions. Here are the things that Damon offers and the problems he solves. And sentence number two is a call to action. Click now to learn more about SEO. Click now to buy my product. Click now to do my thing. So the value is not so much in shoving keywords, but it's compelling the click through to then get them to the page, to expose them to your thing and the problems you solve.
0: Love it, man. Meta descriptions, definitely need to optimize those. And then the tags, it sounds like, are just kind of irrelevant now.
1: Completely relevant, yeah.
0: Cool. Awesome, dude. I appreciate you coming on, breaking that down for us, giving us some insights around content SEO. Where can people learn more about you and what you guys do?
1: Yeah, I'll give you two places. One is I'm super active on LinkedIn, give a lot of free content on there, solve problems, no bait and switch. Here's the problem, here's the solution. And then if you want to learn more about SEO, you can go pick up a free copy of my book at freeseobook.com. Fantastic. And is LinkedIn a good organic lead gen source for you? Oh, dude, we could have a whole other episode about LinkedIn. Yeah, the short answer is, so I've had my agency for 15 years. The first 13 years, we've never done any lead gen whatsoever. You and I were talking about this before we hit record. So I have a seven-figure agency without any lead gen, don't have a sales process, don't have a funnel, don't have an email list, don't have any of that. The first 13 years was almost entirely referrals. We have a great product. The last two years, referrals are still there, but social proof on LinkedIn is outpacing referrals now. And it's just like I said, I go there, And I go, here's your SEO problem. Here's the answer. Here's your business problem. Here's the answer. Here's how to train remote teams. Here's the answer. And that's it. No call to action. I don't send them anywhere. And then the way that works is you stay top of mind. You communicate your expertise. And then when they want your thing, they message me and they go, hey, I know you do SEO. That's cool. You know, How does this work? And it's awesome because it eliminates the sales pitch. I don't have a sales funnel. It's not awkward for them. It's not awkward for me. And it's just like, all right, let's do this. Let's rock.
0: Love it, man. Yeah. I'm going to have to set up some more time with you and we'll dive into what you're doing on LinkedIn from an organic standpoint to generate leads for your business.
1: Well, I appreciate the chat, right?
0: Yeah, man. Talk soon. Hey, before you go, real quick, real quick. Take a screenshot, shoot this over to a friend. That's how we grow the show. You share it. I keep producing awesome content. Deal? Deal. Oh, and, and by the way, if you're ready to create your own content funnel, head over to contentfunnels.co and snag a time on my calendar today.